Welcome to Logical, the UAE's first and really the only legal podcast from here in the Emirates. My name is Elliott. Logical comes to you from the Dubai-based legal firm HPL Yamalava and Plethka. And as always, the managing partner is Ludmilla Yamalava. It's great to see you. Great to be here with you, Tim. This time, Ludmilla, the new domestic workers law. It's number nine of 2022. And it's news, a federal decree amending and replacing the previous law, number 10 of 2017, on domestic workers. It comes into effect on December the 15th, 2022, just a couple of months' time. Uh, Let's start with the headlines. What are they here, Ludmilla? Well, indeed, um, great news uh, and perhaps uh, not unexpected since the UAE labor law, employment law, has recently been changed, and that's the law for the private sector. Uh, the um, the domestic employees have been covered historically by a different body of law, and that was a domestic workers law, which was um, uh, issued in 2017, and it has not been or had not been updated until today. Um, so perhaps it's not unexpected that in line uh, in light of the fairly significant changes to the UAE uh, employment law for the private sector that we would see some amendments or updates to the domestic employees law as well. And voila, we've got it. Uh, so as you rightfully said, the previous until now, or I guess still until December, technically speaking, uh, there was um, a law number 10 of 2017 on domestic workers was the authority that governed rights and obligations of um, domestic workers in the UAE. And just by way of reminder, domestic workers in the UEs are anybody who ultimately lives and takes care or you know, lives full-time or part-time with the family, takes care of the family's different uh, members and needs. And they could be nannies, they could be maids, they could be chefs, they could be drivers, gardeners, and so on and so forth. So they are all uh, considered to be domestic workers. And as per this domestic workers law, they would their rights and obligations would be governed by this law, as well as uh, their visa status, ultimately. They also would have to be uh, sponsored um, as domestic employees. Uh, so um, now, in September, just uh, last week, basically, actually, yes, just uh, yesterday, we received the official gazette, and yesterday was October 10th, 2022, the official gazette came out with the new, uh, the new law. And then now this is not just an amendment to the previous law. This actually, this new law, which is law number nine of 2022 replaces the previous law from 2017. Uh, and while the law was issued uh, in September, the official gazette came out in October, but the law itself comes in three or becomes effective uh, as of three months after its signing, right. which is December 15th, 2022. So that's basically the big headline. The big headline is that the new employment, the new uh, domestic workers law. Uh, now, um, in terms of, um, uh, comp- so I, I guess this, the, the big takeaways of this law, uh, and in particular its comparison to the previous law. First of all, uh, as, as I, I said, this new law replaces not just the law, but whatever the executive regulations, the decrease in the circulars that were issued uh, as a follow-up to um, uh, the previous law are now being um, superseded by this law and the future regulations that will be also issued uh, following this new law. Uh, at a high level, there are not that many changes or significant developments uh, between the new law and the previous laws in terms of substantive rights. Uh, and, but what it does, it clearly spells out, uh, and I think in much more accessible terms, 
uh, uh, rights and uh, and protections for the employees, the domestic workers, that is, and also obligations of the employers. Uh, so it's uh, and also kind of breaks, brings into one body of law uh, various um, provisions that previously were incorporated either in the substantive law itself and then also the decrees and the regulations that were followed later. So it now kind of brings it all into one document, which is much easier to read, much easier to um, to understand, uh, and clearly spells out. Um, um, I guess issues that matter to the parties that are concerned uh, here. I mean, this is the point, isn't it? It's it's almost, I guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost a reorganisation of the law, and it's a clarification, isn't it? A, a, a more of a breakdown. Yes, um, but there are some interesting caveats or um, that have uh, also been included, as, in particular as part of the objectives, which I thought was quite pointed. Uh, you know, one is part of the objectives of the law, which, by the way, did not exist before, uh, and uh, you know, is objectives such as to bring in equitable balance between the parties. So the objective right. of the law is to bring in equitable balance. Think about it. That's quite important uh, because based on a lot of the complaints that we hear from domestic employers, they feel that there is no balance in the market. And so the law expressly states that the purpose of the law is to bring equitable balance between the parties uh, and then also maintain safe and healthy working environment in compliance with local laws and international agreements, which again is is key because previously there wasn't such a statement. So we're not here just issuing these regulations in line with what's called the local laws, but the local laws are also drafted with the view of meeting obligations and the international agreements, which I think is quite fundamental. Uh, and, uh, and also another statement uh, that I think is quite pointed is that um, the rights stipulated in this law represent the minimum, the minimum benefits and protections that employees can enjoy, uh, but that ultimately parties are free to, uh, to agree on greater benefits. So this is very important, greater benefits, right? So basically the law is the floor. It sets the floor beyond which or below which parties cannot go. So in other words, employers cannot force the parties to agree on anything that takes away from uh, benefits and rights under this law, but they can obviously agree to the, to, to uh, more beneficial terms. Uh, one other aspect of the law clearly sets out uh, in terms of the types of employers. And so, in short, there are two categories of employers. One is the recruitment agencies right. and two individual employers that hire um, that hire domestic workers to work uh, specifically for their family under their own sponsorship. So the two big categories are uh, recruitment agencies and domestic employee uh, employers or, uh, or employers, individual employers for um, um, or, or families. This is important because often what we hear from domestic employees and domestic workers concerns is that they feel that they have perhaps fewer rights uh, if they are hired and employed by agencies, recruitment agencies. Uh, some of the complaints we hear is that recruitment agencies require deduct uh, from them, for example, recruitment costs, visa costs all the time, that the salaries are not paid in time. And because so, so the way it works with recruitment agencies is that the employee could be um, sponsored by the recruitment agency, but then they would be contracted out to different families. So they're working for a different family, but in fact, it's the agencies that uh, legally employ them and manage them and and, um, and therefore pay them. So often what happens is that the person works in the family, but the salary um, comes from the agency. And in those cases, often the agencies may make deductions. Deductions 
reasons for visa expenses and recruitment costs. I mean, these are the complaints we've heard over the yeah. Uh, yeah. over the years, uh, over and over and over again. By the way. Uh, so, uh, so the law here clearly sets out basically the obligations are more or less the same between the agencies and employ uh, individual employers, and in fact, the agencies are being held to even a higher standard uh, than than individual employers. Uh, and um, there are also some quite interesting statements, such as, um, you know, first of all, agencies have to be properly licensed in order to provide these kinds of services, and and the penalties are quite grave if they are dealing with uh, contracting or hiring uh, domestic workers without proper licenses. Uh, and uh, there are very clear um, uh, principles um, that apply to all employers, uh, agencies and individual employers, uh, such as uh, to treat domestic workers with respect, courteously, uh, and as express prohibition against uh, discrimination, harassment and forced labor. So this is quite key. Uh, and overall, uh, that uh, employers are required to provide uh, domestic employees with decent living accommodation, uh, meals, uh, and uh, clothing if need be. Uh, and uh, in, ge- in general, they have to treat them with uh, with respect and ensure that they have their time off and they have um, their weekly time off, their annual time off, their sick days if need be, uh, and um, and so on and so forth. So that's kind of the, just the general principles. So the law is very specific about employer obligations, recruitment agency as employer uh, obligations. It's very clear on employee obligations uh, as well. So it has brought in this more of a concept of uh, balance. It looks at compensations, terminations as well. One thing I wanted to ask you about, and the law is is very clear about the the former things I mentioned, but transfer to a new employer has been clarified, uh, I'm, I'm reading. But in what way? Because obviously, you know, transfer of employment is something which is a huge issue uh, in the UAE. Yeah, it clearly states that, I mean, there was a previous uh, provision in the old law as well that sort of mentioned the transfer to the previous, uh, to the new employer, but it didn't, it wasn't very detailed. This one basically states that as long as the party, well, that is in this case domestic employer, uh, complied with the agreement, that they are free to transfer to a new employer, uh, and that the previous employer should ultimately um, comply with their obligations under the law, uh, and and do and provide the employ- the domestic worker with whatever um, NOCs and not so much NOCs are not required, but the documents and payments to help them transfer to the new employer. So this is important because a lot of domestic workers think that um, uh, their fate is in the hands of the current employer and they cannot either leave them uh, altogether or if they leave them, they must leave the country. So that is not the case. And there's a specific provision here that that provides that transferring to a new employer is, is an inherent right of domestic workers. Workers and so, but there are certain obligations that they must comply with, such as obviously um, comply with their side of the contract in order to uh, to be transferred. Uh, but some of the other uh, interesting aspects of the law sets out clearly, and I think this is quite um, uh, quite pointed, and is that the employers have the obligation to educate. Uh, the domestic workers about their rights under the law uh, and also how to enforce these rights in the event they're being breached. Think about it. I mean, perhaps it's just a, a statement, but it is a statement that is expressly stated in the law. Mm. And that is that it's the obligation of the employers to make sure that the, the, the employees or domestic workers know what the law is and know where to go if they need to complain. 
So there it is. I think that's quite that's quite um Well that's interesting because in, if you join a company uh and you sign an employment contract, the company it's incumbent on the company to say, look, this is what you're due, this is when you'll be paid, these are your holidays, etc. That's the same in a domestic situation now. Absolutely. And more moreover, the law very clearly spells out in terms of compensation. So first of all, domestic right. employees must be paid monthly. And again, believe it or not, we often hear complaints from domestic workers where they're not being paid paid a salary on account of some sort of alleged, oh, employer is keeping the money for safekeeping. Well, the law clearly states that uh, the, uh, the employees are obligated to pay domestic employees on a monthly basis and timely. Now, timely within 10 days uh, at the end of the month. So at the end of the month, within 10 days, you must be uh, you must um, receive your, your salary. Furthermore, the law clearly states that no deductions are allowed. Again, another major complaint we hear from a lot of domestic employees that employers willy-nilly deduct this and this and that from their monthly salary. So even if they receive their monthly salary, it's, it's, a, it's only a percentage of what they should be receiving. And so the law is very expressed in terms of um, what is allowed to be deducted, if anything. So ultimately, the only allowable deduction is on the basis of a court order. So if there's a court order, so for example, let's say um, employee, employer, employee um, uh, maybe stole money or loaned money from the employer, Lawyer, uh, then in that case, on the on the back of a court order, and even then, only uh, only uh, a quarter of um, of the salary that can be deducted on a monthly basis. Uh, so this is quite important because in ma- in so many cases we hear. Uh, we hear domestic workers, in particular when they're hired by agencies, where from their salary, uh, the agencies deduct visa fees, uh, recruitment costs, uh, medical fees, and so on and so forth. The law is so specific in several places, by the way, that it clearly states that it is prohibited for, empro- for employers, including in particular employment agencies, to deduct any kind of recruitment costs, visa costs, and it says directly or indirectly, uh, and any for any kind of commissions or anything else um, that, that maybe the agencies would have argued that they had to pay for recruiting that sort of employer uh, uh, employee that is and the law clearly states that any kind of obligations or commissions and such that the agencies may have had to pay that's their own obligation and that cannot be transferred to the employees uh, let me just jump in very quickly here what about in terms of what a contract between a domestic employee and employer should state in terms of I don't know things like days off, etc. Uh, so first of all, the um, the law sp- uh, spells out that the Ministry of Human Resources and Amortization will have a unified and standard contract for all okay. uh, for all employees. And so now there is, there is a version that exists right now under the previous law, and that's a fairly robust contract, I have to tell you. But uh, we can anticipate now with this new law, this contract might be updated, but it will be a unified contract that is registered and, and approved by the authority. So that's very important cannot be just sort of a private contract. Obviously, if you want to add benefits, you you can. But this contract would include some of uh, the minimum um, uh, details such as compensation uh, and uh, your starting date, uh, the term of contract. Uh, then also, so as per, as per the law and the contract would perhaps also state this, is that the working, out, the working hours and generally by law, domestic workers are entitled to 12 hours of rest per every 24 hours and eight hours of these 12 hours 
hours have to be consecutive, consecutive, and that is that there has to be un- uninterrupted, at least eight hours of rest and interrupted, and 12 hours cumulatively. There's also one day of rest per week, uh, and uh, whenever the employee is being asked to work that one day a week, then the, the employer has to compensate them for that. Also, there's, um, there's a provision for an annual leave, and that's 30 days, uh, and that annual leave has to be um, either taken or paid uh, every year. Uh, and so, but also employers cannot deny employees uh, take the take annual leave uh, for more than two years. So every two years, employees must uh, or employers must allow employees to go on annual leave. Uh, and uh, in that case, also employers are uh, required to pay for a ticket home uh, for annual leave every two years. Uh, and um, uh, and also their employees are entitled to sick leave uh, 30 days per year, 15 of which are at full pay and 15 at half pay. Uh, and they can also request a medical certificate to prove uh, the um, sick leave. Uh, so these are some of um, some of the major, perhaps, uh, terms that would be ultimately also reflected in the contract. Uh, and importantly, um, there's uh, quite robust provisions in um, uh, in the law about um, uh, about termination. It clearly says that the the parties can terminate. Either party can terminate the contract uh, if, unilaterally if one or the other party breaches the law or their uh, their obligation of the contract. This is very important because we hear a lot of concerns from domestic workers workers who um, say that uh, they're not being treated properly not being uh, they're not having their salaries paid and yet they're afraid uh, of what they can do so in that, in that case legally they're absolutely expressly entitled to terminate the contract because their employer is not uh, uh, is not complying with the laws and now in terms of also uh, under the law their domestic employees are entitled to the end of service uh, and the end of service at least uh, will be at least two weeks of salary for every year of service to be paid every two years, which is the case right now. Uh, and then finally, in terms of the disputes, if there is, um, for example, if the domestic worker is not getting paid their salary or if there are unauthorized deductions uh, or if they're not being given a holiday or a day off uh, or if they're not being provided with decent living accommodations or if they're being mistreated. So any one of these uh, grounds uh, is uh, ultimately a breach of the underlying law and therefore grounds for the, the domestic worker bringing a dispute or a challenge to their employment relationship um, under the law. And so, as I said already, any one of these gives them the grounds to terminate the relationship unilaterally. Uh, and to do this uh, properly, this is very important, what the domestic uh, workers must do, and that is first file a complaint with the Ministry of uh, Human Resources and Amortization, the MOHRE. To do this is fairly easy. You go on the MOHRE uh, either app or the website, uh, and there's a special service there for um, domestic workers, and through that you launch your um, a uh, complaint to Mohre. Now Mohre uh, will uh, will examine the, um, uh, the the nature of the dispute and what you want to do as a domestic worker to be very very specific about the nature of um, the, the breach uh, by your employer. Let's say you're not getting paid or you're not being treated properly. So what you want to state is that you have been mistreated and the law has been broken and therefore you're exercising your right under the law to have the to, uh, the agreement terminated, uh, the employment agreement terminated. So what you 
asking for is two things. One, for example, a payment of whatever it is that you're owed and you're owed uh, unpaid salaries or whatever the deductions that had been un uh, invalidly taken from you, you are entitled to receive back. Uh, and um, uh, and also your end of service, which is two weeks, at least the very minimum, two, two weeks of uh, uh, salary for every, uh, for every year of service. So let's say after two years, it'll be one month. Uh, so you can ask for all of these, uh, so I guess dues, unsettled dues. Uh, one and two, also termination of your employment agreement. And this is very important because in cases like this, you don't just want to. Uh, in most cases, you don't just want to be paid what you have not been paid, uh, the, and you were entitled to by law. But also, since you're already being mistreated, in most cases, people actually want to move on and find different employment. So you want to make sure that you ask for two things. One is that uh, for payment of your unpaid dues and then two for the termination of the employment agreement uh, on account that the employer had breached the law and this is very important because the law is very specific about uh, how to uh, about the the parties having unilateral right to terminate the agreement if any, one of them uh, uh, breaches the law or the terms of the contract and i have to tell you this is really really important it may sound very simple but it's important because we hear so many complaints and concerns from domestic uh, employees or domestic workers who state that um, they are being mistreated by their uh, employers but they're afraid uh, because they have a two-year contract and therefore they must serve the contract absolutely or not the duration of that contract by law is contingent upon the employer complying with their obligations under the law and under the contract. Therefore, if the employer is not paying you or not giving you proper rest or not treating you properly, that would be the breach of law. And therefore, that gives you, the domestic uh, worker, uh, right to terminate the agreement. And so when you have a complaint to Mohre, you need to make sure that you re request exactly that. Not only payment of whatever it is you're financially owed, but also the termination of the agreement. Now, what can happen here is that Mohre can either, and by the way, the law provides clearly that the Mohre, Mohre here actually has the authority to order, uh, in the very least, the recruitment agencies to actually pay you. So it doesn't necessarily have to go to court, but Mohre, the authority itself, uh, can make that decision. And remember, there's two authorities that we're talking about here. One is Mohre, and this is the Ministry of Human Resources and Organization, which is an administrative and a regulatory ministry, but not a judicial one. Uh, in general, mm -hmm. and then you have the court, and so any kind of disputes will ultimately um, uh, pr uh, proceed through these two stages: first from the from the ministry, and then to the court. Uh, however, in certain cases, the ministry actually has the authority to order the employer to just pay to pay the dues without necessarily having to transfer the case to the court. And I think this is quite important because it potentially provides um, an expedited uh, expedited resolution to the dispute. For, uh, for the benefit of the domestic worker. Uh, so and so, so in, mo so in most cases, uh, I mean, the presumably is the ministry will uh, try to resolve the dispute or mediate the dispute. And in those cases that where the, the dispute is mediated, for example, then the employer will let's say pay the salary. Uh, and if you as a domestic worker want to continue to stay with the employer, then you have the right to do so. Otherwise, if you want to have it terminated, it very is it is very likely, and you you need to be prepared that the employer will refuse to pay whatever. Is it is required to pay. And then in that case, you need to request for Mohre to give you an NOC to go to court. Uh, so, and, and, and the law is also very specific that the court is the courts of the UAE. 
depending on which emirate you were in. So it's not some sort of other authority, which was, which is what a lot of domestic workers believe, that they're not subject to the courts. You are subject to the same courts that everybody else is subject. Uh, and But uh, interestingly enough, the law provides specifically that the courts here, the uh, for the domestic employer, uh, uh, for domestic workers, the um, uh, the court fees are waived all all the way through the litigation. So it's free. So in other words, domestic workers who want to bring a court case, uh, they don't have to pay any fees. And this is, by the way, a change from the previous version of the law. One and two, the law provides that the courts are have a mandate to resolve these case, cases very expeditiously. Mm. So, uh, so A, you have uh, dedicated courts to deal with employment disputes and the same courts apply for domestic workers. B, uh, it's free for domestic workers to bring their complaints. And then C, uh, these courts are given strict mandates to resolve these disputes very, uh, very quickly to allow uh, domestic workers to move on to, I guess, uh, you know, their next, uh, next chapter. And it's worth mentioning that, or reiterating, in fact, that this can all be initiated through an app. Absolutely. And it's a very important reminder. So all of this is not just initiated through an app, but also managed all the way. Right. So in the past, this, as you write, Tim, this was um, a, a, quite a significant and, and a real impediment to domestic workers basically trying to enforce their rights and, under the law. And that is, for example, how do you file a case? You have to go to, in the past, you have to go to court. You have to go to court. Basically, mm. you need to figure out where the court was, how it all works. And, and then also ultimately take time away from your employer and how in, in many cases domestic uh, workers don't have that luxury or the ability to just leave the house, right? Because sure. you know, many of many of them live very far and and they obviously most of them don't drive and and uh, taxis can be very expensive and so on and so forth. And so that's even on their day off. And if they do have a day off, it could be on, on the weekend when the courts are closed. So in the past, there was a very practical um, inconvenience, if you will, if not impossibility for mm. domestic workers to actually file cases. Now it is all online. It's all done either through the website or through the app. Uh, so you um, make not only your request to the ministry, but also uh, file a case um, uh, through um, through online. Uh, once the ministry, if the ministry is not successful at resolving the dispute, and then you litigate basically everything through. Um, uh, through the portal or through the app. Uh, now, it's um, also quite interesting that the law has a very specific provision about what the ministry has to do in the event the case um, is not resolved amicably and it, it now is transferred to court, and that is the ministry has to send all the documents to the court. And so, in other words, when the ministry transfers the case to the court. It doesn't just say, okay, well, here's an NOC to go to court, but it, it has to provide the court with the employment agreement uh, and the parties, all the parties' documents, and also uh, minutes of meetings uh, between the employer, mediation meeting, basically, between the employer and the employee and the employee. And so, and we've actually already seen this in, in practice, and it's quite extraordinary. So, because, and may seem like a small nuance, but for a domestic employer in particular, it's a big thing because, you know, they don't know which documents to submit to the court. But here, as part of the process, and we've seen this again in real time, and it's pretty cool, uh, the, the ministry issues a whole file. Here is basically mediation. We conduct the mediation. Mediation did not work. This is what happened. And, and as part of this file, 
uh, they will submit, they include the, the contract and uh, any other settlement agreements, if there was anything, uh, any statements from the parties and parties' documents and so on and so forth. So basically, that's that's your court case. So when you as a domestic worker, it's not, you don't necessarily need to think about, okay, what do, how do I, what do I submit? What do I say? So you have ultimately a file almost that you can now uh, present, this presented to the judge and with very kind of bare minimum information, you can basically start arguing your case. Uh, so there's one more option, and that is those who struggle, uh, for example, to do this online, they can go to the typing center. And the typing centers can also file this for uh, domestic employers, and then they can basically be sort of managing it through the typing center. Uh, so that's the other option, and that's for those who are not comfortable or don't know how to navigate through the online world. But truly, I have to say that it's it's really a lot more accessible than perhaps it may, may sound, uh, because anytime we talk about a court case, let alone filing and managing a court case, it's very uh, overwhelming and daunting for many, uh, for all the obvious reasons. But um, with all these systems being available on literally at your fingertips, <laughs> through an app and website, all those kind of fears and concerns are, um, for the most part, a thing of the past. You really can do all of this on your own. And the judges are obviously aware that you are, as a domestic worker, you're not going to have the same sort of level of sophistication as when a case is being litigated by lawyers. So they don't demand or expect from you the same kind of standard of pleadings or drafting um, or even scheduling. So they are a lot more lenient, a lot more accommodating and sympathizing of um, the domestic workers for this very reason. Final thoughts, uh, Ludmilla, and one, just one more question, actually. In terms of penalties, what does the law state? Interesting question. There is fairly robust provisions about penalties. I'd say maybe if not one third of of the law actually states that it spells out different penalties that apply to parties. And the penalties, for the most part, they apply to employers. And this very clear and specific penalties apply to employers who are uh, are recruitment agencies and those who are individual employers. But recruitment agencies in particular are subject to even greater penalties. For example, if they're operating without a license or, or if they are mistreating employer employees uh, or if they're hiring somebody who, to do things other than what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, the penalties actually be, can be or if they're misrepresenting uh, facts to or information to the government. The penalties basically vary from uh, anything from imprisonment by the way, okay. uh, to, I guess, uh, the, the minimum penalty is 5,000 dirhams to up to a million dirhams for certain transgressions uh, to imprisonment. Uh, so they are quite severe, and some of the, the heavier penalties apply to the recruitment agencies because recruitment agencies have to be properly licensed, and the licensing requirements are quite specific, and the requirements in terms of uh, what uh, uh, agencies have to do and how they're supposed to treat their um, employee, uh, the domestic workers is quite is quite important and so therefore uh, if they breach those obligations the penalties tend to be a lot more severe than if it was from for example from the individual uh, employer uh, so a very significant part of the law is dedicated to um, uh, to penalties in particular and here I will add one more thing the law is drafted in the way that seems to suggest that uh, some of these penalties would also apply to any employer and that would be in particular individual employer uh, who hires domestic help on the wrong kind of work permit. 
so what I would suggest that I would uh, propose, what I think that means is that, and we are aware of this, um, and it's a fairly pervasive or common practice in the UAE is let's say someone, um, uh, someone puts an employee on their company's visa, a domestic worker on the company's visa, and then they are on the company's visa, but they work ultimately as a domestic employee. Well, now the law seems to suggest that that would be an illegal scheme. Uh, in other words, that uh, there's a number of provisions throughout the law that state that employers are required to uh, properly uh, license uh, their uh, their domestic help as domestic help. So in other words, if you are hiring somebody or employing someone who is on a visa or a sponsorship uh, other than a domestic employer, that theoretically speaking is a violation of the law. And some of these penalties would apply to them as well. It could be 50,000 dirham penalty and up. Um, so let me give you a specific example. And we see this quite a bit. Let's say um, I have a company and well, let's say, I mean, let's use me even as as, as, as a uh, manager of my law firm. So I could put my nanny, for example, under my uh, company's visa. And why I would do that and why, why a lot of people do this is because now I could put them right now in the free zone at least to... <laughs> the time being, I could put them on a three-year visa, whereas an, as an expat, I can only sponsor my nanny for one year properly. If I sponsor her as a domestic worker, I can only sponsor her for one year and I have to renew it every year. If I put her under my law firm uh, life, uh, sponsorship, then I can sponsor her for three years. Obviously, much easier, much uh, uh, simpler, and uh, much more convenient for me. And so this is what a lot of people do, is that they will put uh, their domestic help under the company's visa, and then ultimately they will have them work as domestic help in their houses. Uh, so the law uh, suggests in more ways than one that that would be illegal, that to employ domestic help, they need to be uh, subject to a proper domestic help contract, the unified contract we talked about, uh, which ultimately also will be will result in the appropriate visa or sponsorship, which reflects that the employee is a domestic employer employee or domestic worker and not just a company employee. Um, so just that's that's perhaps a note to all those employers out there who are listening to this podcast. If you want to do things right, technically speaking, if you want to abide by law, make sure that if you have domestic help, that domestic help is not, and there's another another wrinkle to it, is not just uh, um, working as a on, on a domestic uh, help uh, work permit, but also that it's sponsored by you. Because that's another provision in the law that uh, that domestic help has to be basically, it's it's illegal to be basically hiring somebody else's domestic help. So let's say if I have, if I'm able to have several, sponsor several domestic helps, but then I, you know, I let them work for you. Mm. Uh, so that too, uh, the law makes fairly clear is, is improper. Um, so in other words, I guess moral of the story, if you want to do things right, and as per the law, as an employer, you're required to have your domestic help to be, uh, to be on the on the contract uh, on, with uh, the domestic worker contract, and then sponsored as a domestic worker and not some other corporate employee, uh, and um, and uh, you know otherwise, and then they have to be also sponsored under you if they if they take care of your family. Otherwise, um, there are penalties that can be issued not just to you but also whoever it is that is is, is lending these employees to you uh, and the employees themselves. That's another episode of Logical, this time the new domestic workers' law. It's law number nine of 2022. Our legal expert, as always, Ludmilla Yamalova, managing partner here at Yamalova and Plethka. And thank you.
Thank you, Tim. Find us at LY Law, social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. We have a huge, ever-growing library, hundreds of podcasts, all kinds of legal matters here in the UAE, and all for free as well to listen to. If you'd like a legal question answered in a future episode of Logical, or you'd like to talk to a qualified UAE-experienced legal professional, click contact at lylawyers.com.